Hello, welcome to Dying to Talk. I'm Buddy Feneff, a fourth generation funeral director in New Hampshire and the owner of Feneff Funeral Homes and Crematorium and the founder of the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. My co-hosts today are Mandy Damaris and Madison Smith, both longtime funeral directors with our firm. Hello, I'm Mandy. Thanks for joining us on Dying to Talk. Hi, I'm Madison. We're excited to discuss some frequently asked questions about the funeral industry. Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each episode, we will choose a subject that is related to funeral service, the cremation process, or death and dying. This week's topic is brain and brain tissue donations, and our guests this morning are Dr. Sabina Beretta, who is an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, the director of the Translational Neuroscience Laboratory at McLean Hospital, and the scientific director of the Harvard Brain Tissue Resource Center. And with her is Dr. T. Wilson Wu, who is the medical director of the Harvard Brain Tissue Resource Center and the director of the Laboratory of Cellular Neural Pathology at McLean Hospital. Let me take a break. Hold on a second. <laughs> well, welcome, doctors. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for um, having us. This is, this is a really interesting topic for us because most of the topics we know a lot about um, because we get to set the topics. This one we don't, even though we've had a lot of, of family donors going through the program. Um, so just, just tell us a little bit about, about the program, what you're trying to accomplish, and then we'll go from there. Well, thank you very much for having us again. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so the Harvard Brain Tissue Resource Center, which I'm going to short for as a Harvard Brain Bank, um, has been established for a long time, since 1978, as a national resource for investigators um, that do research on uh, uh, different brain disorders. Um, over the years, it has um, accumulated a, a considerable um, collection uh, of uh, brains from people that suffered from either neurological disorders, psychiatric disorders, or people that did not uh, suffer from any of these. And um, as we we like to to stress uh, <laughs> during the course of this conversation, actually, these latter people that did not have brain disorders are actually particularly useful to our research because when we do studies in try in an effort to understand changes that occur in the, in the brain um, of people that suffer from anything from Parkinson, um, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, we need to compare them with people that did not have. So like a control disorder. group? Okay. Contra okay. Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, we are funded by NIH. We are part of a group of six brain banks uh, that are uh, part of an organization called the Neurobiobank, uh, funded by several institutes at the um, uh, National Institute of Health. And this allows us to distribute tissue samples to investigators, not only within the United States, but in fact across the whole world. So we, thanks to the generosity of families and donors that donate their brain, um, research in a large variety of brain disorder can occur not only at institutions in this country, but also abroad. Um, we we are, again, particularly interested in several 
uh, disorders. Mm -hmm. We can talk, maybe uh, Dr. Wu can talk a little bit about what they are. Um, but again, um, one thing that is important to, for us to emphasize is that um, oftentimes donors, people that are suffering from a brain disorder and their families, are actually very committed to brain donation and they do understand the importance of donating their brain for research. If we don't look at what is in the brain of a person that had a disorder and compare it with people that didn't, we really don't understand that disorder. We don't know how to address it. We don't know how to possibly to try to find mm -hmm. treatments. Um, oftentimes, people that don't suffer from those disorders don't necessarily think that that may be useful. But in fact, it's actually essential to our work. So again, uh, we thank um, all families that do think about that. And we do thank um, a lot of the funeral homes that actually are um, generous and forthcoming and, and willing to help us in try to bring up these possibilities to different families. We understand it's often a difficult time right. to have that conversation, but time is of the essence, so we need to do it quickly. It's a difficult moment, but it's really important. Now, since this is a, a show that focuses sort of on the funeral aspect of things, mm -hmm. I, want to, I want to address a couple of questions. And one of the, um, and we've had family ask this in terms of either organ donation or body donation or, or, or brain tissue, is there, is there a cost to the donor family? Um, so the uh, funding available, uh, you know, to us through the uh, federal government uh, covers uh, pretty much uh, everything, you mm -hmm. know, uh, from, uh, uh, you know, uh, brain removal, you know, to uh, transportation. Um, in addition to that, uh, the fact that, you know, it doesn't really cost the family any um, uh, any financial resources. Uh, we also provide a neuropathological report uh, at the end of the donation. We have a pathologist on board uh, who examines every single brain uh, and uh, in a very detailed fashion and would provide a report about three or four months after the donation uh, to the family. Um, and many family you know, members find that very helpful to actually have a sort of a conclusion as to you know, finding out what actually happened you know, to their loved ones. So, yeah. So is, does the harvesting um, normally happen at the funeral home? Does it happen at your facility? Or, or, or does it vary depending on where the person passed away and how far away? Obviously, we're not, you know, we're here in New Hampshire. We're not very far from you. We're, you know, 50 minutes away. But where and, and when does the harvesting generally take place? Um, so uh, I, I think it really depends on the situation. In many cases, uh, this, you know, can take place in the funeral home. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, especially if, uh, you know, a particular funeral home has, you know, refrigeration, for instance. Uh, in the local cases, uh, donors, uh, we uh, have a uh, very experienced funeral director, uh, uh, Mr. Carmine Ladon, uh, who's been working, you know, with us for, you know, many years now, uh, who would travel, you know, in the New England area, you know, to go to various funeral homes, you know, for, uh, you know, to, uh, to, you know, do the removal for us. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it depends on the situation. It could happen in the funeral homes or it could happen in the hospital, for instance. Okay. I have a question. This may sound really, really dumb. Is <laughs> We're sure it is not. <laughs> You're setting yourself up. Yeah, I know, I know. So they do live organ harvest, lungs, kidneys, and such. Do they do live brain harvest? 
Uh, no. <laughs> I know that sounds so dumb, but if you can take other organs while somebody's on life support or whatever. Well, typically, uh, and this is actually something that is of importance, uh, people that are uh, registered as organ donor can also donate their brain. It's not um, incompatible. But typically what happens is that the brain is the last organ to be removed. And this is because it is important for the other organs to be harvested as quickly mm. as possible. Mm -hmm. it, it, the same thing is important for the brain, for research uses, but of course uh, organ transplant takes uh, priority. Mm -hmm. So very often, in fact, we do work with um, organ banks um, that, um, you know, harvest the organs that are, you know, it is possible to utilize and then eventually harvest the brain. Mm -hmm. um, it has always to be done uh, with informed consent and that's a different process because again organ donation and brain donation are so somewhat different mm -hmm. um, in, for instance, in the way the tissue will be, will be used. Are there any requirements from the donor? I know you said you do like normal and abnormal brains, but do they have to uh, register with you prior to their passing or can a family contact you after the death? No, registration is a good idea, but only because it allows uh, a sort of a, a conversation within the family. Mm -hmm. So it, it's sort of more of an intention of the donor to become a, a brain donor. Um, it is useful that the family knows because they will know to call us. Um, they can call us when they believe death may be imminent. That often mm -hmm. helps us to prepare for it. For instance, find a pathologist. Or uh, they can call us after death as long as it is done as quickly as possible. So, But the family can decide after, after death, death, even if the person was not registered as a donor to donate their brain. So it's a little different than anatomical donation programs like here at Dartmouth Medical Center right. um, and, and Harvard where um, once a person passes away, they cannot accept the full body donation. It has to be the wishes of the individual. So it's it's a little different in your in your case. That's correct. Similar to the like, That's So do you work with the New England Organ Bank um, yes. quite frequently? Because obviously yes. they're, um, you know, they're the state law in both Massachusetts and New Hampshire is they need to be contacted when someone passes at a hospital, and you know we're often going down to Waltham for their facilities. So I would think they would be. Um, they would be talking about your program to, to donor families, is that? Yeah, that is correct. In fact, we had a very long-standing collaboration with the New England Organ Bank, um, and oftentimes they, they, they talk with the family about brain donation. And, um, okay. So we, we may not, as, as funeral directors, we obviously know if the person is um, donating organs because we, we, we pick them up and transfer them into our care from the, uh, from the Waltham facility, but... In many of those families, they're probably working with you. We just wouldn't know what's been harvested. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Right. Um, so, um, in in many cases, uh, well, in some cases, the criteria for organ donation and for brain do uh, brain donation, you know, might be a bit different. So, in some mm -hmm. cases, you know, it may be a uh, 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 someone might be a good you know donor for uh, organs, but you know not necessary for brain donation for instance if somebody had a stroke for instance then you know that would root you know root them out as a uh a donor so but in general yes mm -hmm. okay 
What are some other um, factors that would play into you declining a donor? You mentioned stroke. Right. So stroke would be, you know, especially a massive stroke would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, an ex you know, exclusion criterion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if uh, someone has a known history of uh, hepatitis, especially, you know, C and B, uh, HIV, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and uh, also prolonged agonist state. You know what that means is that somebody who, for instance, had been you know on a respirator for a very long period of time, oh, you know, uh, severe you know infection, sepsis, you know things like that. So, uh, so we usually determine that on a case by case basis. Is but that because those things all damage the brain? That's right. Right. So it uh, kind of you know uh, affects the integrity of the molecules inside mm -hmm. the brain that many investigators are interested in looking at. The, another factor is actually, and we were referring to that, is the time um, between death and the time we will it's actually receive. Window, right? It's a so ideally, from the time the person passes away to the time we receive the brain and process it, we'd like to have it less than 24 hours. Oh wow! That's and quick. Uh, it is yeah, very yeah. quick, and we are able to collect brain donations from across the country thanks to a pretty broad network of pathologists and couriers. And Federal Express. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but the shorter that period is, the better it is. So there are some cases in which, for instance, either we are not called uh, soon enough or at times the, day, the time of the death is not known. Mm -hmm. So if we we have to use the time the person was last seen alive, and if we calculate, you know, sum up all the time that will take to for the brain removal, transportation, and arrival to 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 the brain bank, and if that is considerably more than 24 hours, we might have to decline. But in it depends in part mm. on, for instance, the disorder. Sometimes there are very rare disorders that are, you know, difficult to find. Mm. Their di research is difficult because those uh, there are very few brains. So, uh, you know, we, within a certain time window, we can make exception. But ideally, it's 24 hours. So, is, is within 24 hours optimal, or or the maximum that, or it depends. It again, it depends a little bit on the circumstances. So, for um, typically, we we set the limit at 24 hours, but if the person was affected, for instance, by a rare disorder that is you know, particularly precious, it can be stretched a little bit. Usually the, our last possible limit is 36 hours. So what if during that time the, the, the individual was at a funeral home in a refrigeration? Does that, does that increase the, the time? No, it's whether they're at home or whether they're in a refrigeration, it's, it's 24 hours is 24 hours. I think it's just kind of a ballpark, you know, okay. figure, yeah. right? So we sort of, um, we're thinking mostly, you know, about cases that we, you know, accept across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to have this time frame mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, it would, that's, you know, makes it, you know, uh, helpful to, you know, to, to arrange for transportation, you know, scheduling flights and things like that. So if something in mind, you know, that, well, this case coming from California is going to be over 24 hours for sure, then we would you know, typically decline the case. Okay. Um, but again, it's not, it's not black or white. You know, yeah, I mean, right? it's not yeah, to so, the minute, right. but yeah. um, right. it depends on the circumstances. Um, go ahead, Madison, I'm sorry. I have a silly question. <laughs> we are sure it's not silly. I already asked I, one for <laughs> you're done. Next. 
What do you do with the brains once you're complete with your research? Yeah, so it's not actually a silly question at all. The brain bank itself does not do research. It uh, simply collects the, mm -hmm. the brain tissue, processes it, and we can explain what we mean by that, stores it, and then redistributes it out to investigators. Oh, to other people who do To the other oh, people. Okay. So, for instance, uh, Dr. Wu and myself each have our own lab, and mm -hmm. we do research on um, on human brain, mostly working with people that had schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but not as part of the brain bank, as part ah, of our own labs. But um, the important thing to remember is that when we redistribute tissue to investigators, we don't send the whole brain, we send only certain parts of the brain, certain brain regions that are of interest to that particular group. Mm -hmm. So we still have brains that, you know, we collected several years ago because typically, you know, some brain regions are particularly important for certain disorders, they're distributed faster, other stay, and, you know, with progress in research, we start understanding that, you know, perhaps other brain regions are involved and mm -hmm. those also become distributed. Sometimes genetic studies can use not a particular brain region, but, you know, any brain region. So the, the tissue, once it's collected, is kept for as long as, um, um, as possible. In fact, in some cases we have brains that we collected a couple of, you know, decades ago. Wow. Uh, little by little, we will distribute out samples until it's completely depleted. So, wow, so a brain can be sectioned and, and just into hundreds of. That's exactly right. So each brain is used by several different groups. Oh, but wow. to do research, each group typically needs several different um, donors or mm. samples from different donors. So. Depending on the study, you may need, uh, you know, 15 in a group. Or, right. But each, it's important to, for people that are considering donation to understand that their brain will be useful for a large variety of investigations and in several for a long, long time. and for, possibly for a long mm -hmm. time. And I know this has come up um, not necessarily with, with, with brain donation, but certainly with organ donation. Are any of the organizations that are receiving it? Are, there, are they any for-profit at all, or is it simply all non-profit, or, or it's hard to tell? Um, the majority of the uh, tissue, um, you know, goes to uh, investigators, and mm -hmm. in many cases, these are federally funded investigators uh, with very, you know, strong track records of research. In a uh, very small number of cases, we do uh, send tissue to, um, you know, for instance, pharmaceutical companies uh, for drug discovery purposes. Um, so those are for, you know, for profit, you know, entities. Mm -hmm. um, I would say maybe 98%, you know, of the cases, uh, you know, tissue, you know, goes to investigators and maybe 2% or less, you yeah. know, goes and, to... And I, I mention that because we, um, we actually get calls from a number of organizations, um, certainly medical schools um, that are doing full donations, but there are a couple of companies and a couple we, we've dealt with are mm -hmm. a company called MedCure and Science Care right. that actually... Mm -hmm. Yeah. coordinate with the families for the entire deceased mm -hmm. to be transported and of course those are those are for profit and again that has nothing to do with us so we, we're getting the questions from families that you know when I'm donating my my organ my this my that you know is it a money and so 
we yeah. just want to be you know clear in terms of so we can we can educate as well as um, inform our, our our client families of you know. Right. So we I mean we are you know, for sure not you know not for right. profit organization right, right. and uh, also it's, it, this is a federally funded program. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in terms of tissue distribution, this actually goes through the NIH, you know, so uh, so we have to get approval from the NIH, you know, before we can actually do anything in terms mm -hmm. of sending tissue to investigators. Uh, so it's a two-tier sort of, uh, you know, uh, scenario. Now, Dr. Sabina, before, um, in our last show, you mentioned that the the Harvard Brain Bank is really just dispersing the brains to the people that need them, but you are doing some research with schizophrenia. Right. Have you had any concrete findings or are things still in their infancy? No, they're not, actually. The research on schizophrenia has advanced hugely, particularly in the past couple of decades, thanks to the possibility of collecting human brains to really look into changes. Um, disorders such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are different from others such as Alzheimer or Huntington in which changes are very obvious even at the microscopic level. Um, in people with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder and other psychiatric disorders such as major depression and autism, there are obvious changes in several brain regions, but they're very subtle. And uh, so it has taken decades to, and, and the methodological tools to really understand better what these changes are. But we know a lot more now than we did 10 years ago. In my particular case, I look at uh, certain brain regions, such as the amygdala, the entorhinal cortex, the olfactory system, that are particularly involved in emotion processing and have found that there are changes, both at the molecular and um, cellular level, that affect this brain region in a very profound way. And that allows us to understand better these disorders in terms of, you know, their, their symptoms, so their ability, for instance, to understand um, and process certain information related to, for instance, um, relationship with others, uh, to, to, to gate their reactions um, and understand how things happen in a certain context. Um, there have been many, many other findings from other researchers as well that work on this field. Um, the, our predecessor, Dr. Benes, who, who was the previous director of the Brain Bank, had done pioneer work on um, a particular set of cells in different brain regions uh, that um, express a neurotransmitter called GABA and uh, has shown in a very clear manner that these particular cells are affected in, uh, in schizophrenia, something that was unknown before she used postmortem tissue, um, together with other groups, of course, this is always a, a teamwork um, to understand this. And in the long term, understanding these changes helps us understand what could be other approaches to, to at least um, address certain symptoms. So, so for instance, um, targeting in this particular case these particular cells and their neurotransmitter has become a possible target for um, for treatment, uh, something that we wouldn't have known if the studies had not been carried out. So for a, how long does the actual harvesting 
take? And I guess I'm not clear. Are you? I know you're using small portion, but is the entire brain harvested during the? Correct. During, okay. Correct. Um, but you're not necessarily using the entire brain, or you? Well, are? we the the whole brain eventually will be used, okay. just not by the same group. So the we receive the the whole brain in some cases the spinal cord for certain disorders and uh, we we typically need for instance blood samples for different testing when the brain arrives at the brain bank there is always a um, dissection is on call so we we are ready no matter what time um, of the day and what happens to the brain is that it becomes divided in the two hemispheres one part is put in a solution called fixative that sort of preserves the structure. Some of it will be distributed to investigators. Some of it will be used for neuropathology report. So understand what are where the main changes that occur in that brain. The other half is dissected in sections um, and then uh, quickly frozen and stored in freezers. So when investigators, and this keep, helps us keep track of the different brain regions, when investigators request a particular brain region, we are able to find it in our freezers and send it out. So again, the whole brain eventually will be used, just not all at the same time. So the, the, where is the actual bank? Is that um, at Harvard or is that, where is the actual? It's McLean, McLean, Hospital McLean Hospital in Belmont. Okay. So when you're... Um, um, when your staff comes to the funeral home to do the actual harvest, how long does the actual harvesting of the brain take on average, would you say? Uh, you know, for someone who is very experienced, I would mm -hmm. say it would take less than probably 10 minutes. Less than, okay. It was a very quick process. Yeah. Now, does it affect the ability for a family to have an open casket viewing or wake or service? No. Or? No, no, okay, because no. we've gotten that question many times. It, it's for, an important right. question, yeah. and, but no, it, it's right. completely compatible for, with that. And it doesn't, because of the, as we spoke about in, in prior week, because of the, it must be done within 24 mm -hmm. hours, it generally doesn't delay or impact the ability for family to have a cremation, have a service, have whatever it's no. That's correct. You know, it's, it's not right. like they have to, to wait an extra day or two for that, for that to take place. And it is important for um, both you know, people that are considering brain donation and their families to know that they can always call us and uh, there is always somebody on the phone and they're more than happy to answer all these questions. We have a website up that has a lot of these sort of frequently, uh, frequently asked questions, questions uh, but again, people are more than welcome to, to talk to them. What is the website we can post it on our, um, on our um, Facebook page? Uh, at the moment, actually, we are sort of in transition. We have two, but okay. we'll send you the link of the new one. Okay. I think if you Google Harvard Brain Bank, yes. uh, it'll, it'll come up. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll put it on our on our Facebook page. But we'll, we'll definitely send you the so. link, yes. Um, now, another question we actually had, we, we put, this, um, put this out a few weeks ago. Um, we knew you were coming as a guest, and we had gotten an email from, from someone and um, it was Stephen from Epping. Epping is a town here in, you know, not too far. And he said, how often do you have to turn donors down? I mean, I don't know if you have a percentage. Of all the people that want to do it, is it, what's Well, the... as infrequently as we can, okay. really. So only when we really must. So uh, what would you, if you had to, I mean, I'm not going to hold you to this number, but if you had to guess <laughs> for, every, for every 100 people that are requesting it, what do you think the... I mean, so I think it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I can sort of think of two scenarios. One is, you know, we turn people down, you know, based on 
what we just talked about earlier, you mm -hmm. know, if someone had a history of stroke, for instance, HIV and things like that. So in, in that scenario, I would say maybe, you know, if I had to guess 25, 30% mm -hmm. of the cases, oh, wow. right, uh, we would really do try to, you know, accept as you know, many donations possible because I, you know, every every donation is very precious, and you know, uh, you know, uh, from the family perspective. Another scenario is in terms of the diagnosis. Um, so, in some cases, we do have to turn people down at least for now. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we, in general, we, you know, accept, uh, you know, uh, brains from uh, 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 people with all kinds of uh, disorders. Uh, at this point in time, we cannot accept, you know, uh, uh, people uh, brains from people with Alzheimer's disease uh, because of a, a funding structure. Mm -hmm. uh, but hopefully, that will change. We have been in touch with the NIH, and you know, the you know, it's been some effort trying to change that. But for now, unfortunately, we cannot accept, you know, uh, Alzheimer's cases. Uh, but so, so there's, there's still a lot of other psychological and neuro right. neurological <laughs> disorders so out there, right? Which, the one that keeps you from being able to say neurological. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and actually, um, again, it, in our website, there is a long list of right. these disorders. And I'll never get tired of saying <laughs> people that don't actually have disorders. Right. No, I actually, when I was a kid, I was diagnosed with a mild case of Tourette's syndrome. So can I be a, do you look for those types Absolutely. of? Really? Absolutely. So I can be a... I could be, I'm a, can, I'm a <laughs> candidate. <laughs> because I'm perfectly normal. I'm a candidate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, just going back to when you do have to decline someone. I mean, this is such a quick turnaround. 24 hours is really, mm -hmm. really fast. Do you ever encounter a situation where you thought you had done all the research and then you have the brain in your possession and it turns out that the person did have HIV? or something, and then you can no longer use that specimen. What happens to it then? Can that be then donated to a medical school, uh, you know, for, for med students, or? So we will try to to uh, transfer it to, to a brain bank that mm -hmm. can accept mm -hmm. uh, those cases. In some cases, when that is not possible, the brain will have to be cremated mm -hmm. because we cannot distribute mm -hmm those cases. Would it be returned to the funeral home to be cremated with the body? No, or no it will be done uh, at McLean Hospital. And the reason, the only reason why we can't accept those cases is because, as you know, uh, because we distribute tissue to many various, you know, people uh, and, you know, it's, we, it's just, you know, it will, um, you know, sort of pose a very hazardous, you know, situation. Right, right, no, understood. Uh, right. Um, I do have a question getting back to, you mentioned you, you take the brain and, and preserve part of it chemically and then you freeze the other half in, in segments. Mm -hmm. How do you mail it to the places it <laughs> yeah, needs to it go? <laughs> so What's the it, packaging we have, like? Uh, we have packaging with dry ice, uh, so mm -hmm. that we have you know several boxes within boxes and a lot of dry ice, mm -hmm. but we always use special couriers. So mm -hmm. Uh, it, even when we mail to, you know, we have mailed a tissue to Australia, for instance, wow. but um, it again we do it through special couriers. It's and not with, Sam, the postman, dropping this in your mail. No, 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 no. <laughs> and we also very Amazon will ship <laughs> Amazon anything. I hope you have Prime. Right. We we also very very carefully coordinate with. Um, with the investigators that are receiving the tissue. So for instance, we're careful not to send tissue by the end of the week, mm -hmm. just to make sure that it doesn't arrive on a weekend. So we typically send tissue at the beginning of the week, mm -hmm. and depending on where it's going, you know, we, we really coordinate carefully on when it will be received. 
so so far so good. <laughs> now, I, there's other programs like this you had mentioned in, in, in last week's show, but are, are your donors mainly from New England, or are you, are you really doing it throughout the whole country? Donors are actually from across the country. Right. And uh, we are actually very thankful for that, uh, both for, again, families and outreach programs that help us achieve that. And um, uh, again, we, we have developed over the years a network of, um, you know, um, pathologists, um, dinners, uh, funeral homes that help us retrieve the brain uh, very quickly. So are there, is there it, another brain bank as well, or are you are you the repository of all of them? I know you said there's other. No, there are several other brain banks. There are other five that are um, part of the Neurobiobank, which yeah. is again this um, federally funded organization. There are others that are uh, more local and um, um, in, in, in even within the Neurobiobank, some are able to do the same collect across the country. Uh, some are, again, collect only within a certain area. Um, it is, however, important to mention that because of that time frame, the more we collect locally, the better it is because we are able more easily to fall within the time frame that is so right. important for research to be able to... to the, the more modern methodology develops, the more it is actually important that the brain arrives to us as quickly as possible therefore the 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 more we can collect locally the better it is for research so how can funeral homes help to get the word out promote has there been any uh, outreach with either because um, every funeral home every every state has an association and then of course we have multiple nationals so have has because you know, even though we knew there's a lot I don't know about that we've been in funeral service, you know, for 109 years. So, are, are you communicating? I know you're working on a, obviously a limited budget. Are you communicating this to to state or national associate funeral home associations? In great part, but we are hoping for help for okay. for more communication actually because it is hugely helpful. Funeral homes have typically been a, a huge help to us, mm -hmm. and those that do know about the brain bank and uh, you know they, they are the right people to know how to bring it up to a family that this may be a possibility and um, it has been a, a great help so any possibility of enlarging our our network and having other um, you know funeral homes in different states that do the same would be very very much appreciated so it, it's it's not the case i mean unlike um anatomical programs for example we work with dartmouth and sometimes they'll say oh um even though your mom was a you know was a donor and registered we do not need anyone at this point um they they, they refuse because so you can you can always have more brains right yeah, Isn't that, I, I, I think i think one that sounded you weird could, but you could tell <laughs> potentially is that because a lot of people with uh, specific disorders they are very invested uh, their family is also very invested, so they usually are very enthusiastic about brain donation. Going back to what we just talked about earlier, mm -hmm. the control cases, uh, in many cases, are the most difficult because, they, first of all, they don't realize that, well, you know, I can you know, donate my brain because I, you know, even though I don't have any brain disorder. Um, and I su suppose a lot of those people would come through a funeral home. You know? So I think from that perspective, you know, I, think, I think funeral homes would be very helpful. It's a good, you know, pre-need and near-need conversation right. <clears throat> with families, you know, talking to people who are coming in to set up their arrangements mm -hmm. long before any they're ill or 
or even when they are ill and, and it's getting close, you know, being able to talk to these families and saying, hey, Mm-hmm. Consider this. Yes. The better time to do it is when they're fine and healthy. And mm-hmm. right. absolutely, you know, every it's funeral home does rest. pre-planning. It would be wonderful to have on their, you know, on their contract or on their information. Oh, at the time of death, please get in touch with. Versus, you know, we've already lost eight or nine hours, and now the absolutely. conversation is right. coming absolutely. up. So. Absolutely. Right. So we also we don't solicit, you know, brain donations. So the, it's the, the donors or the families contact us. Mm-hmm. We don't contact people. Right. So it would be helpful, you know, uh, if uh, they, you know, if there is a way for them to actually contact us, you know, from the you know before the fact, and so that you know this can be planned, you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are also some disorders that historically for different reasons have been um, less um, easy to 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 collect and um, um, you know some examples are for instance major depression and uh, PTSD and those are the disorders we actually know less mm-hmm. because there haven't been many um, many donors yet that uh, so there are some but not enough for, to really mount mm-hmm. a critical mass of investigations to understand these disorders better. So things like depression, PTSD, like ADD, ADHD, that kind of stuff yeah, too? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, How about, and again, this is, I'm, I'm probably showing my ignorance, um, as I often do. Uh, <laughs> New Hampshire, and especially Manchester, has a, and I'm sure you've heard about it, has a horrible heroin crisis. Um, we've responded over the last mm-hmm. couple of years to hundreds of heroin deaths just in our community. Is there, I mean, has there ever been any research in terms of brain in, in you know, a drug or addiction? Is, is that something that you're researching as well? Yeah, unfortunately, in our case, uh, I actually forgot to mention, you know, uh, a known history of, you know, uh, serious substance abuse would be exclusion for us because so you can't research because you we can't, can't research. because we actually you know our focus is a bit different. Um, I do understand there are people who actually study you know substance abuse issues. I actually personally don't know of any particular brain bank. I think Miami collects. Um, so there are, I think, I believe, other brain banks, uh, including, I believe, the University of Miami that right. has been collecting right. for substance um, abuse and something right. in the brain that may trigger right. that or be right. predisposed. To, right, and huh. the changes that are right. induced. Changes. Absolutely, yes. Thank you so much to our guests, Dr. Sabina Beretta and Dr. T. Wilson Wu. Really fascinating information about brain tissue donations. If our listeners have any questions about funerals or cremations in New Hampshire or Vermont, I'm happy to answer them. Just email me at buddy at phaneuf.net, buddy at p-h-a-n-e-u-f.net, or call me directly, 603-625-5778. Our contact information is in the show notes of this episode as well.